qualify hard, close easy is the mindset that every salesperson needs to be operating on. You have to build the skill of getting answers from different sources or figuring out how to get answers in different ways. And this is why I set sales as high level effective communication. Hello and welcome to the Leverage 3 podcast. This is the show that helps you leverage the talent and tactics of high performers. I'm Craig Shoemaker and today's guest is Puya Heydari. Puya spent 12 years in business among seven plus different industries, has outsourced sales for multi-billion dollar companies and celebrity entrepreneurs, resulting in over $100 million in client revenue. Puya, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Craig. Excited to be here. Yeah, this is great. And um, you know, you were kind of telling me the last time we talked a bit about your journey and how you got started. And I was wondering, maybe you could kick us off there and sort of tell us how that relates to where you are now. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, whenever I tell the story, I go all the way back to kind of being born and raised in a different part of the world. And the reason I say that is because when I came over here, I realized the abundance of opportunities available. I realized just, you know, what's possible. And it sounds weird when I say this, but it honestly felt like I was chosen in a way because, you know, I'm looking back on my cousins, family, friends, and nobody got this opportunity. So to me, it just felt like, you know, what am I going to do with, with my life? And I started to think bigger and have these ambitions. And, and I think part of that is nature. Anyways, I always had big dreams and thoughts and ambitions. Uh, And then I realized, you know, I got to go the route of becoming financially wealthy. And uh, the more I thought about that, the more I said to myself, I got to go into business. And then when I dug deeper into that, I said to myself, well, how do I get into business? I don't have any family in business. I don't come from a line of, you know, business owners. Then I thought, you know, sales is perfect because if I can generate revenue, if I can make more money on commissions and things of that nature, I can get closer to the executives, the business owners, build some good relationships, become valuable to companies. And then I can take that skill anywhere and eventually actually become the business owner. And uh, just having these thoughts when I'm, you know, 16 years old, 17 years old, I was in high school. And then I got lucky enough that I got introduced to a couple different books. And then uh, one of my mentors at the time turned me on to Jim Rohn and uh, started really tuning into Jim Rohn's teachings. And I always refer to him as my first real mentor who had a lasting impression on me because to this day, I, I repeat a lot of his mantras and, you know, his lessons And that's basically how it started. I started to really dig deep into self-education, reading books. I remember traveling all across uh, the U.S. to different business conferences, seminars, and just building my network, connecting with people, and just opening my eyes. And then I realized, you know, I'm going to take the self-education route, not the formal education route. And everything sort of spun out from there. So, yeah, at 16 years old, I remember remember being around that age, maybe 17, 18, somewhere around there and just driving to work one day and just thinking like, I just don't, I don't want to have like a typical life. And in some respects I do and in some respects I don't, but I think that's such a powerful, powerful thing at that age to sort of have that realization um, that you want something different or, or better. So as you're going through that process, Did you recall, like, was there a moment or was it an experience that you had where you sort of realized, okay, I had this desire, but now it's actually, it's, I'm making it happen. 
Yeah, definitely when I started to read more books and go to a couple of these conferences and start to meet a lot of successful entrepreneurs that are in their early 30s, you know, young looking guys, they're in shape, they're basically who I aspire to be right. at that time as a, as a kid. And then, you know, them telling me, I remember one of these guys actually gave me a cell phone number and I was really surprised. I was like, okay, you know, I didn't deserve this, but I really appreciated it. And he said, you know, anytime text me, let me know if you, need, if you have questions. And he just saw, I guess, my hunger and uh, some of those moments definitely ingrained in me that this is the path, regardless of ups and downs and challenges. You know, this is the direction that I'm going to go. But uh, yeah, I think that there wasn't one single moment. There were there was a lot of moments. And then I guess when I started to prove out the concept and get into sales and do really well, I thought to myself, okay, this is all making sense now. Gotcha. So in terms of, of building your sales career and, and kind of building up those chops, what kind of things did you do? Did you sell? Yeah. So I, I, like you said earlier in the intro, I've worked in seven different industries directly, actually skin in the game, boots on the ground, in the trenches. Uh, nowadays, through the clients that I work with, I'm exposed to all kinds of industries I've never even had anything to do with. So it's a bit different now. But uh, I got involved. I was very much into health and fitness back in the day. So I got involved in uh, supplement sales and working with a pretty large chain of uh, gyms, uh, actually on the fitness side of things as a fitness advisor, so selling memberships, training packages, things of that nature. I built uh, a little studio at home, a training studio. And again, without being licensed or anything of that nature, hopefully <laughs> hopefully the law works in my favor here. It was a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> Statutes like run out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got referrals and things of that nature. And uh, I brought in people and I would train them in studio in my basement uh, for cash. And I just put together a price point. And then I would also, uh, because I was doing supplement sales and all that as well, I would put them on a meal plan, supplement plan. And I sort of combined everything. So I started in the fitness industry through all those different angles. Uh, I got into the auto industry from there. Then I started to work in uh, telecom sales, started to work in healthcare and medical space, worked with some training companies in different facets. So it was a whole lot of different industries. I mean, uh, a whole variety just so off the top of my head. Out of all the stuff where you actually had skin in the game, what was the hardest thing to sell? Definitely car sales. It was definitely the auto world. And mm -hmm. I've gotten that question before. And I always tell them or a different variation of that question that brings me to the same conclusion that where did you grow the most or where did you learn the most? It was always car sales for me uh, because I was already really good at sales at that point, And I'm not tooting my own horn. It's just the, the numbers were there. The results were there. Yeah. I had proved myself out. I had I would already been making six figures a year and whatnot. So when I got into car sales, it was where I really got challenged mentally, physically. I mean, our dealership was a big one and we had five different floors. So if I had to move multiple wow. cars and I had three, three, four appointments, I would actually sprint in a full suit and dress shoes, sprint up the stairs and realize there's a car blocked in, sprint all the way back down, go to the front desk, find the keys, <laughs> sprint back up. So I'm doing you know, 20, 30 of these sprints a day probably. Right. And uh, so there's a physical aspect and actually, you know, I would just pretty much drink coffee all day, have one meal for dinner. That was my entire life when I was in car sales because uh, I was just busy and, you know, that was my number one priority. Everything else was out the window. Number one priority was top of the boards and uh, obviously tied that to my personal goals. But then uh, sales wise as well, because I was in long negotiations, you know, I would be in four hour negotiations and it doesn't go anywhere and having to learn that pain of not being able to get that deal done. And then I would sit down and revisit what happened and what, what I could do. And that's where I really built that grit of becoming a, people call it a closer, uh, that tenacity to a point where I had seasoned sales guys. That was my 
first ever uh, car sales job. And I had guys who had been you know, working in car sales for years and years. They would ask me to put their phones on my desk, true story, uh, with the recorder on to record me in conversations with my clients because wow. they just knew I'm going to close those deals regardless, one way or another. Uh, so it got to that point. And, you know, I would say car sales was the hardest, but also the most, I guess you could say, uh, rewarding and where I really saw my sales skills just take leaps. Hey, do you want to get parts of these interviews that aren't available anywhere else? Well, you can join the Leverage 3 email list and get access to exclusive content just for subscribers. So go on over to leverage3podcast.com and sign up today. So what, what was the distinction? So you, you have these seasoned people who obviously know their craft well, and you uh, learned the craft as well, but maybe a little faster or from a different angle. So w- what were you able to pinpoint as being different? Yeah, that's a great question. Now, now you're actually peeling back the layers here. Uh, so I attribute that to a fundamental belief that I've always had, which is sales knowledge, business knowledge comes first product knowledge, industry knowledge is second. I've always believed that some people agree, some people disagree. I'd say most people agree, at least the ones who have experience in sales and business. Uh, But I've always just genuinely believed that I've seen it to be true time and time again in different industries. And for me, it was really mastering the art of sales, which is just high level communications. It applies to your relationships, it applies to your partnerships, it applies to everything, right? So I really focused on mastering the art of sales, mastering the art of communication, uh, really getting to know my buyers, their psychology, asking the right questions, having this really innate skill, you could say, of building rapport with people where it didn't matter if it was an you know, 80-year-old grandma or a 16-year-old kid or you know what ethnicity they were. I could really build real relationships with them. And that's what I focused on. So when I got into car sales, for example, to stay on topic here, uh, I didn't know anything about cars. I've never been a car guy. To this day, I'm not a car guy. I just don't care for cars. You know, I I hate to say it to the people who love cars, but it is what it is. Uh, So I wasn't the guy who was going to give you all the features and stats and numbers. I had times where clients would teach me about the car. I remember this one very specifically uh, because it was almost embarrassing. I was selling this minivan and uh, the guy had a family, newborn kid. And uh, he said something along the lines of, uh, yeah, there's a vacuum in the back. And I said, no, there's no vacuum in the back. What do you mean a vacuum in a car? <laughs> and then I realized, I opened up the back and I realized, and I said, you know what? You just taught me something. I appreciate it. And I, and I just took it, you know, and moved on right. with it. And I still closed that deal. Uh, but that's the extent of how much I didn't really um, prioritize product knowledge or industry knowledge. But of course, at the same time, I tried to come in, read the booklets, learn as much as I could. But I learned on the job. You know, I, I learned mm-hmm. while I was doing demos or test drives, the actual features of the car almost with the clients at first. So the first few months where I was closing a bunch of deals, my first two weeks, I sold 10 cars or sorry, 17 cars. Um, my manager's goal for me was 10. My goal was 20. I sold 17 in the first two weeks. Uh, so I was learning on the job. But the distinction was that I always prioritized sales knowledge over product or industry knowledge. All right. So yeah, let's, let's dive in here some more as well. So, you know, I'm a podcast host. I love good questions and, and you brought up buyer psychology and things of, this, uh, of that nature. So it's been often said that the best deal or perhaps the easiest deal to close is the one where the buyer closes themselves. And I'm curious what you, what your take is on that. And Along with that, what sort of questions are you asking people in order to help lead them to the conclusion? Hopefully that's, you know, the best decision for them and in their circumstance. So like mechanically, how do you go about doing that? 
Yeah. So great question. There are a lot of different angles to cover here, right? Because first things first to answer what you said earlier, yes, the best deals are where the buyers end up closing themselves, but it's also, there's a caveat to that. They're closing themselves because you guided them to close themselves. It is still the salesperson's full responsibility to make that happen. And I think back to distinctions of what separates the greats from everybody, everybody else, it's, it's also that taking a high degree of responsibility for the entire process, whether the deal goes south or goes right, whatever way that goes, it's, it's my responsibility and I led it there, right? So coming from that frame of mind right off the bat, uh, and yeah, I always tell people the close should be easy. You know, when you're closing the deal, like you said, the prospects should come to their own conclusions. They should realize this makes sense. Your job is just to help them make sense of that decision. If the close is hard and you're trying to hard close and you're, you know, back and forth negotiating, you miss something in the earlier steps, most likely in the qualifying stage. And that's why I always say mm. qualification is the second most important step of any sales process. Most important is, of, of course, the close, because if the deal doesn't happen, that exchange doesn't happen, I didn't help you. You didn't get my products and services. You didn't get your solution. I didn't win. My company, my brand didn't win. We didn't make money. The business didn't grow. Nobody wins in that scenario. The economy doesn't win. You know, nobody's winning in that scenario. So the close is the most important. But the qualifying stage where you're asking questions is the second most important step of any sales process. So qualify hard, close easy is the mindset that every salesperson needs to be operating on. And um, to get into mechanics, and if you want to jump in here, by the way, let me know, but I'm just doing a full doing circle yeah, to yeah, answer you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, to get into mechanics, there are a lot of tactics that we use in sales within that sales process. I mean, just to give you some right off the bat, first things first, uh, you got to not only ask questions, but get answers to your questions. A lot of times your prospects, rightly so, are going to have a guard up. They're going to have a wall up. They're not going to want to answer all your questions directly because they know they're giving you the information that you need to close them. So if you're dealing with educated consumers, which a lot in a lot of industries you are, especially in the B2B space, it's a lot more challenging to just directly get all the answers that you need. So you have to build the skill of getting answers from different sources or figuring out how to get answers in different ways. And this is why I said sales is high level effective communication. So let's talk tactics. Number one, you have to be solution oriented. You have to always, always, always be solution oriented. People say, you know, smile and dial, be positive. That never necessarily translated for me because I've always been very pragmatic and very real. And when I'm cold calling, you know, when I was in the auto world and at one point they gave me a, a department to run, it was a subprime department, a lot of tough type of clients. Um, when I'm cold calling an entire binder of leads, I'm not smiling. There's nothing joy, <laughs> joyful about that. You know, right. people that, you know, that act like that's fun. It's not fun. I, I hated it when I was doing it, but I love the result. I love the closing the deal. I love the numbers at the end of the month. Um, so I don't believe in just being positive. My first mentor, Jim Rohn used to always say, you could have a room and hype them up and motivate them and have them standing on the tables. All you're going to have is a room full of motivated idiots right? And I believe that's true. So I don't think it's being positive. I think it's being solution oriented. And I think when you're solution oriented by default, it applies optimism. I'm optimistic. We're going to get something done here. I'm optimistic. I can help you. I'm optimistic. We're going to find solutions because when you think this way, whatever challenges come here, whatever objections, whatever problems in the deal, whatever hurdles come up, you're looking for solutions. You're looking for different angles on how you can continue to move this prospect down the sales process. So I would say that's tactic number one. A couple more, by the way, this is all off the top of my head, of course. So I'm just kind of 
going through this uh, flow here. Uh, Tactic number two, I would say hypothetical scenarios or hypothetical questions are really good. Um, This is where something that's part of my programs as well, I think has been helpful to a lot of people. When you can't get the answers to your questions, it really helps to put people in hypothetical scenarios or ask hypothetical questions. You'd be surprised how quickly you're going to get all the answers you need, right? So if we're going to stay on the topic of car sales, if I'm selling you a car and I say, you know, Craig, uh, you know, what are the payment terms or the lease terms you're looking for on this vehicle that would absolutely make you, you know, sign and get this done today? You'd say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. I have to look at all the numbers and see. So you're giving me a non-answer. And right. then I could, I could easily come back with a hypothetical question and say, you know, hypothetically speaking, Craig, I don't expect you to make a decision today. And if you don't, totally fine. I'm still here to earn your business, whether it's today or another day. But hypothetically speaking, if you know your budget and you know the family situation, what would be the best type of uh, price point for you on this lease term? What would be a number? Just throw out a number for me. So now, hypothetically speaking, I'm getting these answers. And this can be applied in a lot of different ways, of course. Uh, and I'll give you a third one as well, then I'll turn it back to you. It's uh, what I call the PPF formula, past, present, future. If you can learn as a sales professional, also as an entrepreneur, a lot of small business owners, solopreneurs do their own selling, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can learn to operate on these three different time frames, these three different timelines, past, present, and future, and go back and forth between them throughout your sales process, you can do really well. So if I can't get answers to my questions in the qualifying stage, I could just ask you, you know what, Craig? Not a problem. I can tell, you know, uh, you're not exactly sure on what you're looking for currently. What has been, you know, a similar product to ours that you've had in the past that you really enjoyed? What are some features in the past that you had that were absolute must for you that you had to have with this product or service? You know, I don't get answers there. No problem, Craig. You know, hypothetically speaking, in a future scenario, what would be something you definitely couldn't live without when it comes to this product or service? What are some features you have to have? What are some things you're definitely looking for? What are some things that, you know, in your future product or service, whether it's with us or somebody else, what, what are some factors that you don't care for, that you could let go of, that, you know, wouldn't matter as much to you? Now I'm using the three different timeframes, past, present, future, to get the answers that I'm looking for. So those are some ways to really become an expert at qualifying. Qualify hard, close easy. <laughs> That's fascinating. I, I've never heard it put in such plain terms like that. And so it's, it's interesting the, the way you landed the plane on there and talking about qualification because I'm, that was where I wanted to go next. And so it sounds like what you're doing is you're qualifying in the sale, but I would imagine there's an entire process to where you are qualifying leads to figure out whether or not, you know, if time is best spent among the two of you, you know, to, to go forward. So w- what's your mentality when it comes to that? Yeah, absolutely. The only reason I didn't really discuss that prior to the sales process is because it's very industry dependent, product and service mm-hmm. dependent. Uh, so it really depends on small scale deals, low ticket deals. You know, I've built uh, outsourced teams for door to door companies where, you know, you're knocking on a hundred doors and you're selling a $50 product. At that stage, you're not pre-qualifying any buyers. You're just knocking on doors and right. it's a numbers game. It's a law of averages, right? And all the qualification happens on the spot in the first 10 seconds. And you better do that quick and be proficient at it before you get the door shut in your face, right? So that's a training <laughs> grounds for becoming good at sales. Um, so yes, but then you have industries where, you know, it's long sales cycles, maybe multi-month, multi-year sales cycles, big deals. There's a lot of research and qualification that goes into it prior. I would just say for any industry, for any product or service, you should have parameters in place, right? So these are the type of clients we serve. These are the type of clients we don't serve. Here are, you know, the ideal scenarios that we're looking for. So having some parameters in place 
that'll allow you to narrow down your leads. Of course, where do they congregate? Where can you find your leads? Where can you get in front of that target market? So having some of those parameters in place when it comes to your marketing strategies, I think will set you up for talking to the right people, the right audience. And then of course, depending on the industry, do more or less of that. So this kind of sounds like this is an outgrowth of really understanding your client avatar or your ICP or however you want to phrase it. Is, is that where you're getting this, these parameters? Yeah, yeah. For the most part, for the most part, because at the end of the day, your target market and your client avatar is exactly, gives you all the information that you need in sales, right? Are they financially qualified? Do they have a need or want for your product or service? Right? All these questions are being answered when you figure out your target market or your client avatar. Uh, and then obviously marketing and sales always go hand in hand. You know, they have, uh, they have a love hate relationship, right? I feel like a lot of marketers always hate the sales guys because sales guys are always complaining. Uh, the sales guys hate the marketers because they never understand. They don't make life easy. I've been on both sides, uh, you know, and I've been on different positions in the company where I had to sort of speak to both departments. So right. I understand, but it, it's very much tied in. So yeah, to answer your question simply, um, that's exactly how you come up with the parameters. Okay. Well, you know, you're speaking to entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, people who maybe have entered business in, in an avenue that is skill-based based off their proficiency because they're, you know, they're good at something, right? And they want to create a product or service and sell that. And then the prospect of selling could be a little scary, a little intimidating. So like, I understand that there's no replacement for putting in the reps. Like you, you have to go through the process. You have to have the conversations. But in order to kind of give an easier on-ramp, what would you suggest for people who are in that kind of a position? Yeah, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners are scared of sales. But here's how you think about it. Again, like I said earlier, I've always been very pragmatic, right? Here's a, a personal philosophy of mine that I think would help those type of entrepreneurs. If it doesn't serve you, don't even think about it. If it's a thought process or a mindset or a philosophy that doesn't serve you, doesn't help you, just don't even think about it. Don't even bother. Don't spend any time there. You're scared of sales. So what? Just move on, right? Because you, you're going to have to do sales. Sale, without sales, you don't have a business. You have a hobby, right? It's top line revenue. It's sales that allows you to actually bring in money, have a business, sustain yourself, build a team, hire out, reinvest in your products and services, grow, you know, do more for your client base. So sales is everything. Sales is what makes it a business, right? Sales is client acquisition and client retention. So without that, you don't have a business. So if you want to be in business and you're scared of that, you're just, it's just a pointless thought. You're not helping yourself. So I would just say, just save yourself a lot of time and energy. Just move on from that thought, right? And just move into action. Uh, it sounds easier said than done, but I'm just telling you, <laughs> this has been a philosophy of mine that has really helped me a lot throughout life. Um, I do, I look at this philosophy in two ways. One is if it doesn't serve you, don't even think about it. The second way I look at it is 1% on problems, 99% on solutions. 1% on the problem, acknowledge it, look at it. Sales are scary. Got it immediately move, move on to solutions. What else are you going to do dwelling in the problem, right? So just move to how can I fix it? Uh, so first things first, I think is the frame of mind, is the mindset, it's your outlook, how you're perceiving this. So I would just say fix that. Um, from there, yeah, I mean, I would just look at my product and service. I would try to make it as valuable as possible to the marketplace, right? What would my client base, my target market actually want? If you're them, would you buy your own products and services? If the answer is not an immediate yes, something's wrong here. Let's let's get to fixing that, right? Right. So 
it's like the Godfather movies. You want to make people an offer they can't resist, right? You're not yeah. threatening people in, in that case, <laughs> uh, but you do want to make them an offer they can't resist. Just make life easier for yourself, right? Make your products and services great. Make them valuable. Um, you're not competing with other people. So forget about that. You're competing with your prospect's last great experience with a product or service similar to yours. So just think about what was their last great experience with a similar product or service? What went into that experience? What went into that product or service? And look to incorporate that in your products, your services. If you truly focus on that, it sounds overly simplified. You get paid for the value you bring to the marketplace, but that is the reality. If you can really focus on that, the sales process will become a lot easier for you. So it's almost like starting with the end in mind. So have a good product and service. Look at the customer experience. Look at if you're in their shoes, would you buy this? And then I would just say, have a structure for the sales process. Understand that there needs to be some type of initial touch point, whether it's online, on a sales funnel, whether it's a greeting, whether it's a cold call, email, whatever it might be. Understand there needs to be some type of qualification process. Understand there needs to be some type of demonstration presentation of your product and service. So actually showing your products and services. Most people learn very well visually or at least need the visual components. So I've had a lot of clients who just talk, talk, talk about their products and services and it's going over people's heads. If you can have some type of presentation, a pamphlet, uh, a website, a video, something to go along with that, that'll go a long way for you. I promise you that. Besides that, understand how to uh, structure your proposals and your offers. Ideally, you want to have at least two different offers because it's a lot harder to tell somebody, you know, Craig, here's the offer, here's the package, and let's go ahead and get this done. We're going to need a deposit of $1,000 today. Shake my hand. That's very hard to do, right? Most people are not that ballsy, pardon my language. <laughs> uh, you know, so it's very hard to do that. But if I have at least two options, two to three ideally, and I can say, listen, Craig, th this is what I'm looking at. These are the different options based on everything that we've discussed so far. Uh, you can go with this one here and get XYZ, or you can go with this one here and get XYZ. Personally, based on my you know, preference and what I see here and myself as the expert, I would highly recommend we go with option two because it's going to give you so-and-so and so, and it works perfectly for you. That's my suggestion. Which option works best for you? And doing an option close like that is just much easier for most people who aren't really proficient in sales. Uh, and then follow-up processes in place. So you want to have a follow-up process in place for clients who close. So fulfillment, service, all of that. Uh, for clients who don't close, multiple touch points in the future to keep them in your community, keep them in your ecosystem. And yeah, so as long as you have that structure, let's go back through this recording, pause at each stage and uh, just build out that structure for yourself. And then like you said, it's the reps. It's the law of averages. You know, my first mentor used to say, uh, you talk to 10 people, maybe you close one. Okay, great. The more you talk to people, the more reps you do, your numbers actually get better. Now you talk to 10, you close two or three, right? So you can continue to get better over time, continue to get sharper over time and test the market and see what works. That was an incredible breakdown. I, I love it. And, and one of the things that occurs to me is that, you know, the hunt of the sale has got to be, you know, that's the fun part of it, right? And then you get on the other side of it and you've closed the deal, you're working on fulfillment, and then you're dealing with customer satisfaction. And that's where it gets a little more like work. And I'm just curious from your perspective and your experience, have you seen any patterns of places where people fall down a little bit that they might want to try to avoid? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the classic one for most salespeople and a lot of beginner entrepreneurs is over-promising and under-delivering, right? There's a reason that saying is so famous because it happens so often. Right. So ideally speaking, I personally believe this because I've seen it done. You want to overpromise 
And by that, I just mean make bold, confident claims that are true. Of course, they have to be true because otherwise you're setting yourself up for failure. But right. be okay you know, showing that level of confidence, that level of conviction because your prospects borrow your confidence. So that better be there, right? Be okay demonstrating that. But of course, more importantly, over-deliver. You do have to over-deliver. And even if you don't want to over-promise, you just want to promise, right? You don't want to over-promise. Right. I would still over-deliver. I think the over-delivering part is extremely important and there should always be something additional more than what they asked for, more than what they expected. I think that's always a good practice to have. Even just something simple. You know, when I worked in different industries, I would uh, sign a Starbucks card with a personal uh, note and send it over to the prospect. You know, we would send over coffee for their office. We would send over a gift. I would add an additional thing. Uh, in car sales, there's a million things you could do. Add an additional mat, you know, in the fitness industry. In all different industries, there's so many things you could do um, that doesn't have to be too crazy, but just a sign that you care, a, a personal touch, uh, a sign that you're willing to over deliver. I think that's really important because yeah, that's where the reputation is made, right? That's where the, yeah. the cash flow is kept. That's where the recurring sales are kept, the recurring revenue. That's where client retention is really, uh, made. So I would definitely say as soon as that deal is done, the more important part is actually over delivering on that customer yeah. experience, that customer journey. I love how you pull out the concept of surprises and, and I work with people on building courses and, and one of the things that people tend to forget, I think, is the fact that, you know, the success is not the sale, it's, it's the, the customer experience. And so I always tell people, you know, build a bonus and then tell no one about it and then hit them with it after the fact so it's a complete surprise and just watch as their, their mind is blown. And, and that can, can do leaps and bounds for, like you said, your re reputation and your ability to, to keep going. That's, that's exactly it. You're absolutely right. You know, I have a university platform with all my courses and everything hosted there. So you're an expert at this. So this will be a fun conversation. Uh, one thing we do all the time is we always update it. We always add new courses, new trainings. Uh, just recently, I added a whole new section with uh, guest speaker calls that I've done with high level people from my own network. We made that available to the, to the uh, people on the platform, which wasn't originally part of that program. So I'm doing that all the time. I've re-recorded everything in that platform three times now. So everything's up to date and the information is new because I know guys that have university platforms, they're selling for very high margins uh, to businesses and they recorded it 15, 20 years ago, right? Uh, so I just don't want to be that person. So absolutely, I'm a big believer in that. Uh, and you know, always do the updates, do the legwork, do more than is expected, a lot more than what is expected. Um, and don't expect anything in return. And I think that's a good policy to have. Apoya, man, you like, there, there's so much great information here and I feel like I've learned a ton. And, and I think this is one of those interviews that I'll definitely go back through. And as you suggested, watch and, uh, you know, try to, try to take in it as much as I can. One of the things I like to do at the end of each show is highlight some takeaways for the audience that, uh, is based off of either what we've talked about or something you might have prepared. So if you were going to leave people with three thoughts, what would you give them? Well, thank you, first of all, for the acknowledgement. And I hope this is as valuable as we felt it is to your audience as well. Uh, in terms of three takeaways for everybody, I would say number one is the, the mindset and your outlook because your outlook always determines your outcome. So I would say the philosophies that I've operated on that were really helpful, I would highly suggest uh, your audience adopts them as well, which is if it doesn't serve you, don't think about it. And also 1% on problems, 99% on solutions. If you're just solution oriented with sales and business, but also with life, 
I think it just becomes a much more pleasant journey altogether. Uh, the second uh, takeaway would be having a sales process in place and a sales structure in place. Like I mentioned, from the initial touch point to the qualifying stage, to the presentation demonstration, having proposals and offers, closing the deal, follow up, having all of that in place and structured out for your business uh, will take you a long way. And it would just show a different level of professionalism to your clients as well. And then the third takeaway would really be uh, prioritizing over delivering after the fact and delivering a really high level customer experience because keep in mind, you're always competing with your prospects last great experience. Thanks so much for being a part of the show. Now, one of the easiest ways that we can stay in touch is that if you're watching on YouTube, please like this episode and subscribe to the channel if you'd like. And if you're listening to the audio version, rating on your favorite podcast app would mean the absolute world to me. So I'm Craig Shoemaker, and I'll see you again here soon on the Leverage 3 Podcast.